back to Fear Genics, where we don't just watch movies, we devour them. I'm Kelton. And I'm Alex. And using our industry knowledge, we're here to break down horror cinema from classic to contemporary. Now, I know what you're thinking. The title of this episode is Signs. Is that a horror movie? The Mel Gibson, Signs. M. Night Shyamalan, Joaquin Signs. Phoenix, Signs. No, it's not. It's not a horror movie. I, th- I think... Think we, I think we had a little misunderstanding here. Yeah, so Signs came and came out in 2002. And Kelton and I were both kind of young guys in 2002. I was a literal child. Yeah. I shouldn't have been watching scary movies. Yeah, and we both thought it was a scary movie. Turns out it's not. I was really scared of it when I was a kid. You know, when I, when I was 10 years old, it was scary. It, it was a horror movie when I was 10. And then I rewatched it, and it's it's not it's not a horror movie at all. So that's why we're here. That's that's why we watched Signs because Alex thought it was a horror movie, and I thought it was a horror movie, but for different reasons completely. Yeah, I never watched Signs growing up. I wasn't allowed to watch um, PG thirteen rated films until I was thirteen, and when Signs came out, I, I guess I wasn't. Um, so I just was told it was scary and it looks scary. I was afraid of aliens. So I think what happened was everyone who's seen this movie saw it when they were a kid. And, and everyone who's seen the movie told you it was scary because when they watched it when they were a kid, it was scary. I, I really think like everyone just watched this when it came out. It was an incredibly popular movie and it scared everyone. And like that was it. Like that that was all that got carried into the future was like science was really scary when it came out. Yeah. It also came out at a time when like America was scared, two thousand two. Like it started production the day after nine eleven. Yeah, this was the first movie to resume production after the nine eleven attacks. So like maybe it just came at this time in our culture where like it made us scared we were scared it was it was like this like and everybody kind of latched on to this movie like yeah it's a feedback loop of like fear of aliens and coming and we have to come together but like we need to stick together as a family and, and, and fight them off we're stronger and you know what i know this has got to be somebody's favorite movie and i'm gonna apologize up front because not only is this movie not scary this movie is fucking weird. It's fucking weird sometimes. It's so strange. I okay. I like I think it's a nice little family movie. It it it's a nice little family movie, but with really weird acting and really weird directing, I think. I, I don't think you're wrong. I just I have I've I'm a little more optimistic on this movie, I guess. Okay, well I guess we'll have to get into the scenes to really figure out like what we're seeing here that's different. But um it feels like such a period piece to me. As I was watching this, I paused it and I was talking to my girlfriend about how like, does this not feel exactly like a 2002 movie? Like this is... It's it's on the nose. This yeah. has not aged well at all. Right. I mean, it, it's like the way it moves through the story is so not subtle at all. Like, ev- like every key piece of information presented to you is so glaringly obvious. It was impossible for you to not enjoy this movie when it came out because it was so simple and dumbed down to be just a a good family film with some spooky aliens in it. And it is an enjoyable movie. It's just not 
I was surprised by like how dated it was. Like this is not this is a classic, but not because it's great. It, it's a classic because everyone watched it. Yes, it was. A, it's a classic because it was successful when it came out. Because M Night Shyamalan was riding high. He released this off the backs of Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, and everyone ate it up because M Night Shyamalan was hot shit. And you know, I like M Night Shyamalan. I do too. I like a lot of the way he runs sets. I like his twists. I think that maybe this movie had a little too much of him in it. And I don't mean that in terms of his cameo. I mean that in terms of like his directing. I mean, there is a lot of him in this movie, like it behind the scenes too. You know what I'm talking about? Like there, we'll, we'll get into this later. We'll, we'll but sure. this was, this was a personal movie for him. I, I really feel like he took this script and like, and kind of infused it with parts of his life. Like, I think that this movie meant a lot to M. Night Shyamalan. Um, and some of the stuff that he did in pre-pro and production kind of uh, show that. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to get into it. Okay, well, let's get into it. Signs is a 2002 movie directed by M. Night Shyamalan featuring Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix as the two male leads, uh, with uh, the children leads being Abigail... Breslin and Rory Culkin, which is uh, the I think he's the little brother of Macaulay Culkin. I think so, too. He looks younger. I I knew of him from Black Mirror. I saw him in a Black Mirror episode and I was like, man, he looks so familiar. And they're very young in this movie. How old do you think they are? Like, I think Morgan's probably almost 10, maybe like 11. And Bo is like, what, four or five? Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen a Mel Gibson movie. It's weird seeing him in his prime like that. Anything with Mel Gibson is is different. You're you're signing up for something off kilter, and, and Joaquin Phoenix is in it too. His whole hit thing is being unconventional. Yeah, you could not. The, the difference in performance is palpable. It's literally night and day, like one side of the coin and the other. Yeah, and I, it's it's funny, but like I I don't know. I kind of like it too. It's funny that they're brothers. Like brothers and also literally exactly opposite from yeah. each other. And like his kids don't like him and they like his brother instead. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so weird. Let's, let's get into it. Where do we start? How does this movie open? So we just start off and we're at a, you know, a simple family country homestead. Yeah. It's like Philadelphia. A, it's a farm. Uh, I know, I know the exact number of acres. It's 40 acres. Um, it's like an agricultural, uh, facility. It's a, it's a house, but the, 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 the actual location is like a house surrounded by cornfields. Yeah. Like they they built a house in like a Victorian style. It's like a Victorian homestead. Yeah. Like classic Americana yeah. style. And, uh, we see Mel Gibson, uh, Graham Hess is his name in the movie. Stirring awake. He hears screams coming from outside. Yeah, no, he, he wakes up and he's kind of just walking around the house and then he hears a scream outside and it's his daughter uh, really far away. And uh, Graham's brother, Merrill, hears it as well, played by Joaquin Phoenix. And they both, you know, meet each other and like, what's going on? They run out in the fields and they find their kids, you know, out in the field and they find, they find a crop circle. You know, it's the from the 
from the poster of the movie, you know, the big crop circle. It's the, yeah, it's it's that shot. Yeah, like the, what's on the poster? That's the crop circle. That's a practical crop circle. They actually they didn't do CGI. Um, they had an option to do that, but um, M Night Shyamalan thought it would be more authentic uh, to actually have them standing in it. And and Mel Gibson actually liked that. Uh, you know, being able to just see all of it, it, it made it feel more real. As Graham's running through the field, it's a POV shot of uh, like. You're running through the field, POV. Your kids are screaming. And you have to save them. You have to protect your family. It's like a really cool, intense shot. And we've seen it like in other movies since. And, you know, something to keep in mind is this movie was one of the movies parodied by Scary Movie. So, like, every iconic shot is like double amplified because it's been in twice, it's been in two big movies. Yeah. Um, so, it's like an iconic shot now. But it was really cool to like see it not parodied being taken seriously yeah uh funnily enough with the parody uh when i was a kid i watched scary movie and i thought it was really funny when they peed out of their pinkies in that movie spoilers for scary movie yeah if you haven't seen scary movie yet and you know as a kid i was like man that was really funny i want to watch that again so i put signs in home alone and that was when i watched signs for the first time (laughs) you thought you were watching scary movie yeah I thought that scene was in there. Like, I thought that was just a funny movie because I didn't understand that it was a compilation of movies. I didn't know what any of that was. I was like, oh, there's scene that had the aliens in it. Right. In the crop circles. Yeah. And then I watched Signs and it was so scary. I watched the whole thing and I was like, when is the funny, when is the funny moments going to happen? What's funny is Signs is a funny movie though. I know, I know, but I didn't get it. None of it was funny to me when I was 10. So like, Rewatching it, I got all the funny stuff and none of the scary. Like, I got it flipped, completely flipped. As a kid, it was really scary, not funny at all, and like a really good horror movie. And as an adult, it's not scary at all. It's kind of a joke. <laughs> like, it is just so insane. Like, my perception of this film, how it's changed. I, I feel like the. I didn't realize how well this movie was parodied in the scary movies because like some of this science is funny, but it is not as funny as scary movies version of science. And to a certain extent, it kind of ruins some of the moments because like science wants me to laugh, but like I've already laughed at science way harder when uh, the spoiler, we'll get to it in a second, but like when Graham's wife dies, that scene is hilarious and scary movie and like that's tragic in signs and even the funny moments in signs never live up to the scary movie it's insane that scary movie like exists alongside signs like scary movie was so successful in its own right that they belong in the same conversation together like i really can't think about one movie without the other anymore and i i don't think i'm alone in that this sounds ridiculous but like charlie sheen might have been a better casting choice than mel gibson did you know that uh, the first choices for Mel Gibson's role? No. Clint Eastwood. No, uh, that would have, that, nah. He was supposed to be older. The initial offers for the role were Paul Newman and Clint Eastwood. <sighs> that would not have been even anywhere near the same and movie. Do you know what Joaquin's Phoenix, who that was supposed to be? No. That was supposed to be Mark Ruffalo. Oh, I did read that. So it was supposed to be like Clint Eastwood and Mark Ruffalo in this movie. How Which would have been weird. fucking crazy. What does that even look like? 
I don't that that would that might have been a better movie, but it definitely would not have been as iconic. Yeah, I think it's funny that like the potential for this movie was like a weird duo or another weird duo. Like it was never going to be a normal movie ever at any point. Anyways, let's get back to it. So they're in the crop circle, right? They just found the crop circle and they called police. Graham thinks it's Lionel something. I don't know his name. He thinks it's just one of the shithead hooligan local kids. Yeah, I kept on thinking of like the uh, the gangs from Red Dead. It's like Dutch's Va- Dutch Vandalay's gang. Yeah, they're like there to the to ruffle the cattle. Rassle, what are they called? What's, what is it when you steal cattle? Wrestle cattle. I don't know. There's like a word for it when you like steal cattle, but I don't know. I'm not a cowboy. Calls the cops and Officer Paskey shows up. And I like this character a lot. Officer Paskey is, she's like not super serious, but she she toes this line between being serious and being funny better than almost any other character does. She's like the realistic part of this movie. You know, her introduction is she arrives to the house to, you know, talk with Graham about the crop circle and stuff. And it takes her like two hours to get there. And he's kind of like salty about it. And she's like, she tells this whole long story about this lady that twisted her ankle because of some skateboarding kids. So she went to a skateboard shop and started spitting everywhere. And she had that she was sick or something. So it was really gross. And she's like, I won't eat for a week. You know, like, like, yeah, you're, you've got some, some corn stalks that are down, but I just got done doing some real shit. So hold your horses. Like yeah. She's, she's like the, the stopping force, like the leveling force in this film. Her humor is like out of Fargo almost. It's like very dry. Yeah. They go out and they look at the crop circles and it's pretty interesting. Like how perfect it is. Uh, they're just perfectly turned over and laid over, and it was silently overnight. It's it's pretty unexpl- inexplicable why this happened. From a production uh, production design standpoint, it's like very cool because it's like a like you can see how cleanly knocked over things are, and it looks it looks exactly how it should. It looks like real, but also sort of too perfect to be real. Yeah, like which is the unnerving part, right? Oh, something I read that was kind of interesting is. Uh, the choice to use corn was intentional because corn in real life is actually very hard to knock over. Oh, so it's like more of a testament to like their technology or whatever is able to. Yeah. Like this would be very hard to actually pull off. Yeah. So it's, they're like even scarier than your regular aliens. Yeah. They're, they're able to do it in this field, not a wheat field. I bet the farmers picked up on that immediately. They're like, holy shit. Oh fuck. These are the corn aliens. We're not dealing with any wheat aliens anymore. It's at this point we find out that uh, there's been reports of animals being aggressive mm-hmm. in the town. And uh, we see some scenes of uh, one of the family's dogs. You know, he like urinates on the floor and he's being kind of aggressive. We get a scene, a standalone scene of the dog being super aggressive towards Bo, like standing up and growling. And we, we get to see some of the acting chops of the kids here. I, I think Morgan's performance is honestly like pretty good in some points. Yeah. You know, the dog gets up and is really aggressive and he's just like, you know, Bo, don't run. Like, just be calm. And we, we cut back to Pesky and Graham at the crop circle. You know, they're just talking and all of a sudden he doesn't hear his kids anymore. And, uh, you know, goes and searches for them. Comes and finds Morgan next to the family dog, a uh, knife in its neck. 
and Bo, you know, hiding. And they had to, you know, the dog attacked. Bo was trying to get Bo. And Morgan had to deal with it. And this just goes like like further proof that it's more than just a crop circle. Yeah, like this whole, there's a lot of things taking place all at the same time that lead you to believe something's off kilter yeah. in this world. That's something I kind of appreciate about this movie. And I'm jumping forward a little bit, but once it like starts to imply aliens, it just keeps on pushing on the gas of, of aliens. It doesn't really ever go back and be like, maybe not aliens. Yeah. It just keeps on being like more and more. This is alien. It's very like Hitchcockian in a sense of like it's, it hints at aliens existing. And then you just keep seeing more and more like things that you can't put aside as, Oh, that's just, that's nothing. You know, it's, it's mounting evidence that gradually makes you go, Oh, okay. We actually have to, be scared here. Yeah. I love movies that make their atmosphere like that. Uh, this isn't a scary movie per se, but Shaun of the Dead is a good example. Okay. It, in which, you know, at the beginning of that, you see scenes of like people being weird, like a zombie running. Uh, like there's a lot of oh, sirens yeah, yeah. going like off in the background. Yeah. There's, happening. there's hints at things that aren't directly telling you that something's afoot. I really love when that's uh, the lead into horror movies, especially. So they all go to bed. It's been a rough day for the family. And uh, they're stirred awake again. Graham and Meryl go and try to see what's going on. They think it's the hooligan kids again. And it's definitely not. Yeah, well, before they, like, discover what it is, they have this scene where they hear a noise. Everybody's in the house because they're a little freaked out about the dog thing. Um, and... You have Graham and Merrill. They meet up at the front door, and they're, like, going to make a game plan to catch this hooligan on the roof. And uh, Graham, his character is a uh, ex-priest. He, like, lost his faith when his wife died. Yeah. And he's a really timid guy who, like, doesn't cuss. And Merrill is, like, a more rough and tumble guy. Like, he's out there, like, ready to just, like, you know, kick the ass of the home intruder. And, like, have, like, this game plan conversation. And Meryl's like, you got to get out there and scream and cuss. And Father is like, I don't do that. Yeah. This scene is hilarious because after they game plan their whole thing, they each take a different side of the house and start running around it. And you get Meryl and he's like, oh, I'm going to get you. Like, Like, he's actually, like, intimidating. And then we get uh, Graham and he's like, I'm losing my mind. Like he literally says like, I'm going to be crazy. I'm going to get you. <laughs> like he's literally like, he couldn't sound more non-threatening if he tried. And it's like, this movie is undercutting its sense of like fear to be funny in this moment. And as a kid, maybe you would have missed that, that it's funny. But like as an adult, it's just a hilarious scene. Something that I can... Uh, notice more as an adult is the score. So like there's an obvious score change here to like a very like happy, like like they're like looking for like, it's a mischievous, but the score dictates a lot of what you feel like. Like I, I will say the sound design in this is pretty great. And it, yeah. it's good in the sense that it's hidden, it's hidden in the background and it influences the way that you, you view the movie without realizing it. Um, it's very intentional. And it, it's at this point where it starts getting, like, happy. And it's, like, you can't... It's hard to be scared when it's... The, the movie itself is literally making you have a comic moment of relief. The, this movie clashes with itself all the time, tonally. 
And I, I think this is the first one that really stuck out to and, me. And I guess I guess that's why I'm like not hating it because that's so weird that like I'm I'm in, I'm embracing the fact of how weird it is. I'd rather have weird movies than bad movies, right? I don't hate that this movie exists. <laughs> I just don't think that this movie knows what it is. I I think M Night Shyamalan was too close to the project to like create a sort of objective vibe. But anybody on the outside should have seen just how tonally mishmashed okay. this is. I, okay, so I'm just at the point where it's it's so bad it's good is what is kind of what I'm at. I think. Yes. Yeah, so like this movie does the full loop of like it's got just enough nostalgia, and like it was popular enough that like it's an enjoyable watch, regardless of how tonally, how how much of a mess it is tonally. I, I think the fact that I have like somewhat of a bias towards when I was a kid, like there's part of me that I, I can't objectively say it's horrible. Cause I, I've really liked it. And I guess I'm just coming to terms with the fact that maybe, you, you know, like, uh, like the day after tomorrow, like I'm, if I rewatch that now, it's definitely going to be worse. Mm-hmm. And I just, I'm not ready to rip the bandaid off for this movie yet. And you know what? Um, you know, this isn't even the worst offending scene, so we can rip the Band-Aid off in a few minutes. <laughs> so they try to find him, and we hear, uh, like, some scurrying sounds, and the thing they're looking for climbs the roof really fast. And this is where the characters start to think, like, oh, maybe this isn't a human. Like, this is really weird. They couldn't have... Uh, Meryl's like, uh, the next day... Um, Paskey shows up and Meryl's telling her like, I was a, I was an athlete in high school. Like I'm, I'm really strong and fast that per that, whoever that was, whatever that was, it climbed up that roof and in, in a 10 foot roof in seconds. Um, so they're really concerned at this point. Yeah. Uh, this is a pretty funny scene actually. They're really concerned and they're trying to try to get Paskey on their side and Paskey's still very much in the realm of like, Oh, this is. It's probably just someone playing a prank on you. And, uh, you know, when he's talking about how crazy it is that they climb that roof, she's like, you know, there's, you know, female Scandinavian Olympians or something like that. And then there's this whole, like, back and forth between, like, it wasn't a female Scandinavian Olympian that climbed our roof. (laughs) It's such a weird, like, I don't know why this is in there. Like, basically, she's just trying to be like, well, don't say it's a man. Like, you don't know it was a man. And it's like, I don't know what the point is. Is she think it's aliens? Does she actually think it's a woman uh, Olympian? Like, I don't know what point she's trying to make here. So what this feels like to me is just filler in a family movie. Like, this is just a stupid scene to, like... Like, I think a lot of this like, is, usually like... usually the main characters have to, like, convince the cops. But here it's, like, the cops, like, have you considered aliens? It's, like, the vibe I'm getting. <laughs> Graham and Paskey are talking and Bo comes up and interrupts them while they're talking and tells them that, uh, and tells Graham that the, all the channels are the same channel. She's trying to find cartoons and it's all the same channel. They actually do it a little more subtly, which this moment I really like. She comes up and says the, uh, ask for the remote cause she wants to change the channel. And then we cut back to the conversation we're having about the female Olympians. And she comes back and says, I can't find the remote. And Graham says, just change it on the TV. And then she's like, all the channels are the same. And it was like this great little setup of like, 
um, you think it's just this background thing, but it actually means something. Yeah, like there was actually a very important uh, key part of the story developing. Because as soon as she says that, it like puts me on edge. Like, oh shit! Like something's like, going on. Yeah, like like you know, she doesn't understand like what a news broadcast is. Like why it would be on every channel. I think this movie does a pretty good job of like the kids having their own kind of way of thinking and the adults having their own way of thinking and like existing in their own space, but also like coming together at some points, the individual performance as much as we hate on this movie. Some of the individual performances were nice. Yeah. No, the only one I really have a problem with is, uh, uh, Graham's, you know, Mel Gibson's performance is so strange. He's like a rock. He's like a rock on film. I, I, so I watched some behind the scenes there's this scene where they're interviewing Mel Gibson and he's talking about how great it is to work with M Knight, And he's like, M Knight really gives you a lot of feedback. Like he's always telling you something different to try and like different ways to like try and do a scene. And like, I'm watching this movie and it's like, Oh yeah, I can tell. Like they tried every emotion. <laughs> <laughs> so they go and they, they, they see the news broadcast and we come to find that these crop circles are popping up all over the world. It is uh, an international event. Everyone's kind of confused, mm-hmm. slightly concerned. It, do we see the UFOs at this point? No, it's just crop circles. We get a lot of news. So the news broadcasts are a pretty big plot point in this movie. Like we get different news broadcasts at different points and they, they dictate the escalation of the film because we're, you know, they're just at this house in the middle of nowhere. So really all they have is that TV. Mm-hmm. So all this happens and Paskey's just like, you guys have been through a lot. It's really stressful. You should just go out, go on, go out on the town, enjoy yourself, have a nice family day. So they do. The suggestion to go out on the town, uh, in the behind the scenes, M Knight was talking about how originally he conceived the whole script being taking place on the farm, actually in the house and never leaving. Oh yeah. But he realized as he started like um, casting and like meeting the actors and stuff that he wanted to explore a little more backstory and like get to know them a bit better. So that's what influenced them to like go to town and have this moment. Yeah, th- these scenes out on the town are ex- like pretty much explicitly backstory. Like these scenes are set up to give character development. We get one for Meryl and one for Graham. Both of them are pretty funny. Uh, we get Graham's first. Graham goes to the pharmacy to buy an asthma inhaler for his son. And uh, the checkout, the, the lady at the checkout there, she's like a young girl. And this is this is where we like objectively find out that he used to be a uh, reverend. She's like, you know, I'm pretty scared about all this, new, all this stuff on the news, you know, like, like I want to be ready for the end of the world. So can you, what, what is it called? She's like, can you... Uh, can you like, it wasn't confession. Can yeah. You, um, I don't remember the words she used, but basically she was just like, can you like hear my sins? Yeah. Like I need to get this off my chest. Yeah. Like she basically just wanted to like <laughs> tell, tell him like all her bad things she's done. So that she's, her conscience is clean. She's like, does douchebag count as a curse? And then he's like, in what context? And she's like, I said that Mark was a douchebag when he kissed Barbara. And then he was like, then it's a curse. And she's like, oh, then it's 71, not 37. <laughs> <laughs> What's so funny, too, is like he's just at the pharmacy. Like he clearly doesn't want to have this conversation. Yeah, he's just doing it for fun. Like, you know, like he he, he really took some prodding to get here. 
Like, she basically begged him. He's only doing it because he's nice. So the context here is that um, he was obviously, like, uh, the father of one of the churches locally. So everybody in the town still sees him as father. Yeah. Uh, whenever they were at the crop circle earlier in the movie, uh, Paskey calls him father, and he says, don't call me father. He clearly is trying to distance himself from that. We find out he only re- uh, retired from this like nine months or six months ago. So it's pretty recent. People still call him father. At the same time that this scene's taking place, we get a character development scene for Merrill, his brother, and we find out that he was a high school baseball star. This is the weirdest scene in the movie. That that general guy? Yes. I loved his... I loved that. Like, the whole, like, they're scouting us. This is like... But he's like a David Lynch character. Like, he is sitting there delivering lines in such a, like... It dra- it draws me in. Like, it, it really drew me in the way he delivered it. And, like, Joaquin's character is not, like... It's not a funny moment for him. You have one character doing a bit and the other character is not doing a bit. And it's just, I can't wrap my mind around what this scene is supposed to be tonally. I think it's like, that's the thing, right? Like Joaquin is living in his own little world. And then this guy is like, like it feels like everyone's existing in their own headspace and not communicating it to anyone else. And like this general is like, oh, shit, we're getting scouted by aliens and they're going to kill us all. Yeah. And then Joaquin is like, I'm just kind of here. I'm just kind of here hanging out. Yeah, so I, I guess what I... The scene here is Joaquin goes to, like, an army recruiting office um, to just, like, pick up a pamphlet, maybe, like, and consider joining the army. Yeah, I guess, like, you know... Which I guess is, like, a nod to 9-11. I don't know. I think, like, uncertain times, you yeah. know, he's like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe I... <laughs> want to support my country. So this is where he meets the general is just in this office. Yeah. They're just, they're just having conversation. You know, we find out that he is a former baseball star and we also find out, you know, he won all these records and stuff, but we also find out that he had the strikeout record. Yeah. Because the dude that they thought was fucking with him in the beginning of the movie, Lionel, he's there. Oh, that's Lionel. Yeah. Uh, okay. That's Lionel. So Lionel's there and he's like, yeah, like, did you hear about, did you hear about Merrill's strikeout record? And he basically like all that, all the high he was riding off of like, yeah, I won a bunch of awards. Like he just shatters that. Yeah. And then he just kind of like walks over to him and like, you know, does the little like lurch thing. Like he's about to punch him and he just kind of like cowers in fear. (laughs) I, I think this whole scene this whole scene of him going to the office is to deliver the last line of this scene where Meryl says, yeah, it just felt wrong not to swing, which is like <laughs> in context, it's kind of like a badass line and it comes up later. But yeah, like, yeah, it just funny that this whole five minute scene, as far as I just can tell, was just line. for like four words. Yeah, that was like the setup for that one line. So Graham got the inhaler and. Meryl just got back from the recruiter's office. They're at the pizza place. They all met up for pizza. And it's pretty funny, but when, when Graham comes in, he's like, I don't want any of you hanging out with that girl at the pharmacy alone, ever. Which is so funny, because, like, she's just saying she cusses. And it's like... Yeah. <laughs> she, like, said 71 curse words. And, like, that's enough for him to be like, you're banned from seeing this girl. I love how much of a prude he is. And we get a glimpse of... uh the director of this film he's uh 
just walking out to his car. They do focus on him a bit. Like, you can tell he's somebody. Yeah, no, he's, he's definitely an important character. They kind of, like, stare him down, and it's not explained why uh, he's important or anything. Meryl and Graham obviously know who he is, and the kids are just like, you know, who's that? But that's all we see of him for now. This is one of the scenes. Once I saw his car, I was like, a scary movie spoiled this for me. I know where this is going. So they make it home, and um, Morgan has Bo's baby monitor, and it starts acting on the fritz. And this is where we start seeing the aliens kind of interact with the family more. Basically, they're like, their voices are getting picked up on this baby monitor. Yeah, so they're driving home, and Morgan has... A baby monitor because the sheriff's character told him that he could use it as a walkie-talkie. So he kept it with him. And as they drive home, it starts to pick up some weird sort of static and signal, especially as they pull into the driveway. It starts to go nuts. And there's this really complicated scene of them trying to keep the signal and passing the walkie-talkie around trying to get better signal. And for some reason, the characters think that if they let go of the walkie-talkie, they'll lose the signal. So it's somebody's always got to be holding it. The whole point of this scene is to like symbolize, like as a family, they can like face this adversary. Like it, it, the scene ends with Morgan on top of the car with the whole family basically like behind him, and he's holding the baby monitor up. And it's like, it's kind of just to symbolize like, Oh, they're all pulling together. Like they're all like, you know, binding together to face this adversary in the sky. Like this was, it was a silly scene, like in, in terms of logistics, but like, I see what it was going for. Had it been done, a better is not quite the right word. Had it been done differently, this would have been like the iconic scene of the movie. Um, like you could basically take a medium wide still from this scene. And like, this could be a pretty iconic shot from this movie in the behind the scenes. M. Knight was talking about how uh, when he wrote this scene, he thought that this is one of the scenes where as a director, he realizes that it might get cut. And he like did everything he could to make sure that this scene like made it into the movie. Yeah. They took more time filming this than they expected uh, because like it really like wasn't working at first. And like they just like kept on doing it to like try and make sure that like this scene made the cut. It was good. It was okay. Yeah. I will say the score, you know, helps this movie a lot. And this is a moment where the score helps a ton too. Like it's a, it's a powerful moment. You might find this interesting. Uh, and part of the behind the scenes, he mentioned how he always says like, he doesn't want to have a score in his movies. And then he gets to lock in the edit and he's like, yeah, we really need a score. I think this movie would have been irredeemably bad without this score. I really do think that this score does more work than we realize. Yeah. So night falls again and Graham goes out to the crop circles. He's out just checking on the property and he hears something. Yeah. Yeah. He's just kind of like walking around, making sure the grounds are good. And he just hears them. I think he just hears some scurrying. Well, he chases them through, he chases this noise through the cornfield and he ends up in the clearing at where he was at the beginning of the movie when they first see the uh, the way the crops are pulled over. Then on his way back, he starts getting chased, and he trips and falls, and he sees one of the legs of the aliens walk into the cornfield. So, like, at this moment, he knows for sure it's real. It's become yeah, real for him. This is the definite moment which, you know, there is a threat that he doesn't understand, and he needs to protect his family from it. 
yeah, like there's no running away from this anymore. It's real. So he runs inside and tells us, uh, you know, tells him to turn on the TV. And this is where we get the news broadcast about UFOs. Okay. There's UFOs all over the country. You know, everyone's scared. Nobody knows what's going on. And I like that they show the UFOs like in the broadcast. Like it's not just um, like news reporters saying it. It's like they just have a live feed of the UFOs and they're just talking about it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's how a broadcast would actually go down. This is kind of an important scene for, you know, the themes of the movie. There's some dialogue about Morgan says we need to tape this. You know, we, we really need to tape this, you know, for our future children. He tells this to Bo because cause she, they were going to use one of the tapes that they'd had with stuff on it already, and they were going to use Bo's recital or something. And Bo is like, no, like it's got my recital on it. And he's like, we need to tape this for our future children for, so they can understand. Like this, I swear, Morgan does a better job than Mel Gibson. Like oh, yeah. literally, like this kid performs – so much better delivers such better lines and uh Bo's like no I don't want it and then you know they just go and get a different tape it's uh Meryl's swimsuit special yeah that they're taping over it's just like another moment of like why did you have to make it funny like this could have been serious well, I think that's I think that's Joaquin's character's thing though like I think he's a goofball and it's like, oh, yeah, it's, of course he's got a swimsuit special. But, like, they didn't have to show us, the audience, that it's the swimsuit special, like, that's being taped over. I think why this feels so weird tonally is because M. Night Shyamalan, he, the entire time, it is a scary atmosphere. Yeah. That never goes away. But the fun, the comedy is inconsistent. So that's where it feels weird. The comedy is just, like, randomly put in there. But to, but it doesn't make sense in the context of all the fear that they're feeling. He had a weird line in the behind the scenes about how when he started writing this, he wanted to make a funny script. And he kind of forgot about it until they started making the movie. And he's like, oh, yeah, there's funny parts of this. And I wonder if, like, that's part of it of, like, as he started making it, he got into the mindset of making a serious, scary movie. But the script was funny. And he just sort of, like, didn't kept get the rid gags. of the lines. Yeah. yeah. Like, maybe this movie wasn't supposed to be this scary at first. And then he made it scary. And, <laughs> and there, there was artifacts of these stupid jokes. Yeah. The children go to sleep and we get a kind of another important scene. Um, basically, like, faith is a big uh, motif in this movie. Yeah, so throughout the movie, we get flashbacks of something tragic. And we know at this point that his wife has died, but we don't fully understand how she died, but we do know that because of her death, he's lost his faith. Yeah, like he he's changed a lot as a result of the loss of his wife. And um, we, we see that on full display here with this conversation with Meryl. Basically, he's like, there's two kinds of people. Like, are, you know, there's, there's a kind of people that sees things and sees miracles and, uh, and sees hope. And there's people that see the reality of things and, and, and understand that like, yeah, our, the world might cease to exist. Yeah. And this is, um, Merrill asked, uh, Graham to sort of comfort him. He asked him what he thought about the situation and Graham just sort of was like, it's aliens. And Merrill's like, no, like, will you be like a priest for a second and like make me feel better? And then he delivers this speech. This was kind of like Mel Gibson's big moment. 
saying like what all of his characters, uh, you know, stands for. This version of Graham will be compared to the one at the end. Like the whole arc is him losing the faith and then regaining it through the challenge that he faces with his family. Yeah, this is sort of a dark moment where his brother asks to be comforted, and he does. And his brother is like, okay, so what do you believe? Are you, you just told me that people can either believe in miracles or they can sort of believe in like chaos. And I, I chose to believe in miracles. What do you believe in? And Graham's like, chaos, there's nothing. He specifically references, um, he just goes really dark and he's like, you want to know what the last words my wife said were? C. Swing away, Meryl. You know what that was? That was the, the last synapses of her brain firing for a memory of, you know, you playing baseball. Like, whoa. Like, just drops a bomb on him. Like, oh, yeah, like, you believe in miracles. My wife's dead. Yeah. And, and that's kind of, like, where his character's at. Like, there is no faith because... Everything bad has happened for a reason, and bad things will continue to happen. So what's the point? We get a quick little scene. There's like three different flashbacks to the actual night of the accident with his wife, and we get a little bit of that here. Uh, basically, like, she got pinned against a tree. There was no way she was going to survive, and he had, like, a chance at one last conversation with her. Yeah, she was out for a walk, and a car hit her and pinned her against a tree the different scenes are the different stages in which, and like the last one is whenever he actually gets the conversation. This is just the second scene where he finds out that, you know, she's not going to live much longer. Once again, an absolutely hilarious scene in scary movie. It was pretty sad though in the movie and yeah, the actual, no, movie. it is sad. Like when it wants to be fully dramatic without jokes and shit, it can, it can pull at your heartstrings for sure. Mel Gibson's performance was a little weak. Everybody else though did a good job. You kind of just scene. had to ignore Mel and think of him as like, this guy just has to be here for the story to keep going. Yeah. Literally, he was like a wallflower just kind of walking through the movie. And everyone else around him was doing great performances and all had their moments. And he was just there. Yeah. Like the catalyst. So they all go to bed, wake up again. Graham finds Meryl, watch another bro broadcast. He's been up all night. He's clearly like trying to figure this out, like what's going on. There was like footage of a bird flying in the sky and then it just like drops out of the sky just like more evidence of uh you know aliens are clearly here they're just among us it's uh you know implied here we start to figure out like oh maybe these crop circles are signals like maybe this is some sort of communication system used by the aliens maybe this is foretelling something yeah there's sort of this notion that the crop circles might be used to for like for navigation like you sort of mark a invasion zone by putting a crop circle there. And this fits with the general's general, the general's general idea that like this could be an invasion force. Yeah. It, it, everything that's like foreshadowing in this movie is so like, that's what's going to happen later. Yeah. The characters never get any of it wrong. Actually, in retrospect, like every moment they take a guess, they're the right. script is so tight in the sense of like, everything connects some to something directly. Like, all of these, all this line, that line, like that, this moment, that line, you know, like there's, if you put this on a board and you just connected all of these themes, like it, it's really cohesive and, and tightly packed. You know, after that, Graham leaves, goes upstairs, sees his kids wearing tinfoil hats. Now 
this is my this was the first time I'd even seen tinfoil hats. Like this was like I didn't know tinfoil hats were a thing. Like I think this is worth noting that this might have been a lot of people's first time knowing what a tinfoil hat was and what a conspiracy theory was like oh you think this like sort of popularized this conspiracy yeah because i didn't i can say definitively that tinfoil hats the notion of that came from me watching signs as a kid yeah i associate tinfoil hats conspiracy theories with like you know meryl wearing a tinfoil hat being like dude the aliens are coming interesting i yeah i wonder if this sort of like popularized aliens uh, again, like aliens have been around like in pop culture a long time, but I wonder if like this movie had an impact on, you know, bringing them back into the spotlight of culture as a possibility. Yeah. It finds his kids wearing the tinfoil hats and they're reading a book. I don't know for some, some magical reason, these scientists have written a book that outlines like exactly what the aliens are going to do. And it's all relevant and topical and morgan just has this book for some reason and it's so accurate it's basically got a picture of their house it literally it. has a picture of their house with a with a ufo like shooting like a beam at it and it's on fire and there's uh three dead people in the front yard and one of them's adult sized and two of them are children sized this was drawn by m night Shyamalan's daughter by the way Really? She's, I mean, she's pretty good. I mean, that just sort of points back to how this movie feels really personal for M. Night. And I, I don't know, you know, what the context is um, in his life that, like, sort of brought this movie into it. But, like, this is the first time he acted in a movie. He's having his daughter draw for it. He's maybe too involved. He's, his direction is, like, really in there. It's There's another... Uh point where this comes up okay and it's actually even more intimate uh so he gets a phone call and the person on the other end says father and then he replies but the phone goes dead before the person on the other end can hear him graham's able to assume that this is ray uh his name's ray ready and we don't know uh we don't, he says it's ray we don't know who ray is yeah we don't know his re his relation to the family at all uh we just we just know that they looked at him really weird at the pizza place and now he called for some reason and he's going to go check on him. We also learned that they're neighbors at this point. Like their houses are close together. As close as farm houses can be to each other. Yeah, like a 40-acre property. <laughs> like, but uh goes over to Ray's house and he sees him in his van. Just sitting in his van. It's loaded with stuff. He's clearly just about to leave. He's all packed up. And this is where we get the full story of Graham's wife passing away. Ray was driving his truck and had fallen asleep at the wheel and collided with his wife in hitting the tree. You know, they have a conversation about it and Graham's pretty like forgiving. Like he's not, he's not very, uh, you know, angry at Ray. Yeah. He, scene. He's like, he doesn't want to have the conversation kind of like, he's not right. Like he's almost not ready to confront that feeling. Yeah. Like Ray starts talking about it. Like, he's he goes into the story, like, you know, I didn't see any anybody the whole stretch and tell the 10, 15 seconds that I fell asleep, you know, that was where your wife was. Like, he starts going into it, and Graham's kind of, like, trying to shut him down, like, doesn't want him to keep talking about it. 
And in Graham's defense, I also don't want him to keep talking about it because, like, what the movie is showing us is that there's something in the house as well, which is, like, a little bit of a, like, story issue for me of, like, they're having this touching moment, but the whole time I'm like, there's a fucking alien behind you. Yeah, like, literally the thing trying to kill you is in the house. Like, so, like, when he goes to the house, you can see the house is, like, fucked up. And, like, you, there's, you're pretty sure there's an alien in the house. And then they have this touching scene. It's a crazy thing, actually. M. Night Shyamalan's grandfather passed away the day before this scene. Yeah, I, uh, he was talking about that in the behind the scenes. He had a, he kept a photo of him uh, with him because it was, like, also M. Night's first big scene in the movie. Yeah. So, like, he was really nervous. It, it felt it, like it, he needed that. Yeah. This was, like, you know, there's just so many different moments where it's like, man, this, this meant a lot. Tim Night Shyamalan. So Ray explains that he's going to the lake because he's kind of got this theory that none of the crop circles are near water and thinks that they might have an aversion to water or might be, you know, harmed by water in some way. Just another thing where it's like, it just comes out of nowhere. It just comes out of nowhere. Like, Oh, I'm pretty sure. Like, I'm just going to go to the lake. I don't think they like water. Like that's where it came. Like imagine I was sitting here. And there was an alien over there, and I was like, I think if you throw some water on it, it might get hurt. That was the plot developing. Yeah. That's how it was introduced to you. Ray's parting words are just apologizing to Graham for, you know, causing him to lose his faith. He's clearly very remorseful about what he's done. Mm-hmm. And he leaves. You know, tells him as he's leaving, literally like, you know, hey, by the way, there's an alien in the pantry. He's like, by the way. Don't go into the pantry. There's an alien in there. It's like it felt like a NPC giving a quest in a video game. Like, don't turn left. There's definitely something bad. There's like a lot of rats in the basement right now. Don't check on them. Anyway, bye. It just burns out, leaves. So, of course, Graham has to go into the house now and look at it. So, it's like trashed like there's chairs on the ground and he's walking up to the pantry door i don't know why but this took three weeks to film yeah so i actually do know why this is their swing set they just had a set set up uh nearby other sets and when they were getting rained out for production or um, one of the child actors had to leave because their hours are up but they still had like time in the day they would go over there to the swing set and just film one of these scenes so this was like very some, piecemeal. Yeah, like, if if the production couldn't continue somewhere else for some reason, they came here and filmed part of this. So it was three weeks, not because it you know took forever, just because the way that they were filming this specific scene. Yeah, wow. and like it's a pretty simple setup, so you can understand why they could just jump into it at any yeah, time. That makes more sense because it was such a simple setup. I was like, how? How did it take three weeks? Yeah, like, what happened? This is actually really common when filming movies of. Um, having sort of a backup plan for something to do if you can't film the scene you want to uh, film at the time. Yeah. Because movie production is really hard. If you have to do something with a window or outside, you got to pay attention to uh, the weather. Um, sometimes people get sick. Yeah, sometimes you, if you got like a cast of five people and you don't have one person, if that scene requires everybody in the scene, you can't film that. So oftentimes movies will set themselves up in such a way where they have a fallback uh, thing they can do uh, to be productive, even if they can't utilize. do exactly, because if you have, if you think about um, the amount of people it takes to work on a movie, um, even one day of downtime, that's like sixty people 
who still have to get paid even though nothing happened that day. So there's always a backup plan. Yeah. So he walks up to the pantry door. It's like barricaded with a chair and he uses a knife to like look under it and he doesn't see anything. Uh, walks away and he kind of like second guesses himself or something and decides to go look again. And uh, we get like a pretty, <laughs> this is where we get to see, you know, a little more of the alien. It kind of like, it, we see it's like leg, like it's foot or something kind of come out and like claw the ground. Yeah, it's like a, it's, yeah, it's just like an alien claw like comes straight at the screen. And then it's like click, like like the little clicking of the nails. And it, it fucking got me, dude. It I jumped so hard. Really? When it came at the screen. This and uh, the scene immediately after we'll talk about in a sec are easily the scariest. This whole sequence here is so scary. Like, it wasn't scary watching it again because I, I knew it was coming, but... I also kept on thinking of Scary Movie when it's the same scene, but he's looking up... Uh, I think it's the girl from Ring's dress underneath. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just... it's it. it it's hard to take something like this serious with like there's such a funny version of this scene. I'm so glad that I didn't watch Scary Movie with this because it that I just watched Signs again, so it's all fresh. Scary Movie I haven't watched in a long time, so it wasn't as as muddied. Yeah. Uh, I was able to objectively judge this movie a little more. But yeah, he uh, the 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 thing comes out and he like just chops off some toesies, like a couple little little fingies. He just chops him right off and runs. Just gets the hell out of Dodge. And then we get the other really scary scene. Now, this is the scene. This is what I think of when I think of this movie. Okay. We get Merrill, you know, watching another broadcast, news broadcast. And uh, there was some video footage submitted out of Brazil by some dude in Brazil at a birthday party with one of his kids. Uh, this was actually shot on a handheld camcorder by Shyamalan himself. And it's basically just, like, found footage of, like, some kids kind of really, like, really scared. And they're kind of just looking out the window. They don't know what's going on. Everyone's uneasy. And the camera points out the window, and it's just kind of looking at this doorway, you know, like nothing's going on. And then we get the cross. We get to see the alien in full. And it's so fucking scary. Yeah. he's It's so big. Like... The original alien was supposed to be like a slender woman and it didn't look intimidating enough. So they had it just be some, you know, burly dude. If you watch the behind the scenes of this movie, they actually show the woman version of this that they're like, oh, we need to redo this. Oh, wow. It's really fascinating because, yeah, it's it's not the right vibe uh, with like the more slender, uh, slower build or slender build. But like it also moves more slowly and less menacingly. It would not have been the iconic shot that, that, that it was. The big alien, it's like so menacing. Like that it looks like, you know, a predator. Yeah. And this is, I saw this scene years ago when this movie came out um, without seeing the movie. And like seeing this scene makes you think throughout the whole movie is going to be a scary movie. Yeah. It, it's, it's so funny that this is just a slice. And, you know, I saw this movie as a kid, right? And I didn't know what found footage was like. I seriously just thought they got this. Like, I thought they just had this clip. Like, I thought, like, just like an UFO footage. Like, there was alien footage, too, that existed in the world. And they just put that in this movie. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, there's aliens? How? Since when? Yeah. I could see that. It's, like, it's pretty compelling the way it's done. 
this scene is iconic and I, I think it's iconic beyond this movie. It's like, this is the scene that I think represents signs. And a lot of people have seen the scene, even if you haven't seen signs, but it's juxtaposed uh, to Meryl reacting to the television set watching this. And he is so over the top. Like the kids are like having the birthday party and like they're sort of in the way of the window and he's like sitting there screaming at TV and he's like, vamos, vamos. Yeah. Like move. And he's like crawling up the chair and like into the back of the closet. The TV's in the closet for some reason at this point, he's crawling back into like the clothes and like peeking out behind the clothes, like watching the TV. And it's just so over the top. So shit's fully hit the fan at this point. Graham's chopped off some toes. Meryl's seen aliens on TV. Graham comes home and everybody's wearing tinfoil hats. This is pretty, this is a pretty funny. Like, yeah, this, the image was hilarious. It's like a family friendly. It's like a family movie moment. Straight man. Dad comes in and like the whole family's like been goofballs while he's gone. Yeah. They're like, Oh, Hey, (laughs) 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 Oh shit. Do we have to stop being goofy now? Do we have to stop being silly? We've been caught. (laughs) It's now where, uh, you know, they're at a crossroads. Uh, they take a vote. Do we stay here and make our stand, or do we go out to the lake because some guy told me that the aliens don't like water? Yeah. And at first, it's it's a split decision, and then Graham's like, my vote counts as two. Like, th- this is, like, where Graham really stops being, like, fun to watch. Like, for me, like, at, at this part at least. Because he's just such a dick for, like, the next 30 minutes. He says, my vote counts as two because uh, I'm representing your mother. Morgan's like, that's not fair. That's cheating. And uh, Graham's like, well, that's the way it's going to be. And then the daughter character changes her mind. She's like, actually, we're staying. And that's why they end up staying. Yeah, basically, like, (laughs) Graham loses his only ally, which was, you know, Bo. And then they decide to stay. And, uh... Kind of manically almost, Graham's like, now what should we eat? Anything you want, you know? And everyone's like, like, Meryl wants chicken teriyaki and Morgan wants French toast. Yeah, they have a moment where it's it's sort of implied that this is like their last meals. Yeah, like, okay, I guess we're just going to eat something. Like, let's, let's. Which is like sort of a macabre thing for a dad to do. I've been like, if we're going to stay, I guess we better have our last meals. Yeah, like whatever you want. But it's it's portrayed in like this sweet family way when like it's such a a dark concept that like it's a little hard to compute what the vibe is here. Yeah. You can't tell if it's if you're supposed to be sad or if it's like, oh yay, they're getting whatever they want. He's doing like a a sarcastic thing almost, but like he doesn't know it. Like the character doesn't know it. He's doing it earnestly. Like he's actually like yeah, I'm gonna make whatever they want. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like they're gonna get what they're gonna get, you know, what they asked for. But even though the writing is like they're getting the last thing they're gonna eat before the aliens destroy them all. Yeah, and and that that's the disconnect that exists throughout this whole movie between this like it, it somehow it just misses the mark tonally in a lot of ways. And then uh, you know they make the, we get a shot of all the dirty dishes they just made made everybody's meal. Uh, they're all sitting down, and uh, Morgan Morgan wants to ask for a prayer. 
And apparently Graham did not like that. Not one bit. They're like, come on, Dad, pray for us. And he's like, son, where did you hear that? Who told you I could pray? Yeah, apparently the, the former usher can't do one fucking prayer before their meal. And a whole thing pops off. Uh, he's like, okay, well, I guess if I guess if nobody wants to eat them, I'm just going to eat all of everything. And he's just like reaching over and he mixes mashed potatoes and French toast on the same plate and just kind of puts it on his, he's just being an asshole. So they have this whole, you know, moment where Graham doesn't want to pray. Like he's, you know, lost his faith. Like what's the point of praying? Like we're going to die to aliens in a, in a few days, whatever, you know, why does it matter? They all like, he, he just breaks down and Morgan gets up another great, you know, display of a great performance while child actor he gets up and he just kind of hugs them and they all come together. And in this moment as a family for, you know, the second time. Yeah. And we get, you know, the baby monitor goes off again. Like this is another very clear, like we stopped fighting from within and now we must face the outside threat. Yeah. Very, very clear. Uh, have they started boarding up the windows at this point? Uh, yeah, they just now, like, they just had dinner, and now every, everybody's boarding up the windows. It's, you know, they're moving to different rooms of the house, getting it all ready. It's at this point where we get even more of M. Night Shyamalan's personal life injected into this film. It happens at two different points, but we get to hear both of his kids' like birth stories. Oh, that's really cool. Okay. So th that is actually M. Night Shyamalan's children's story. Like, that that's how both of his children were born. Okay. So the, the setup here is, like, they've boarded up the windows, and the aliens have started to sort of, like, surround the house. And in this moment, Graham is grabbing uh, Bo first and telling her the story of her birth. Yeah, basically, like, she didn't cry at all. She just kind of, like, looked around. And then he talked about later with Morgan, like, like she bled a lot and uh, he didn't get to see her or didn't get to see him immediately. And um, when she finally got to see him, she's like, I'm your mama. And it was just like a really, this was like a really sweet moment. And in finding out later that it was, you know, actually that personal was pretty interesting. And to have this sort of moment of like catharsis regarding the wife, like he's sort of coming to terms with like these children need to know their mom a little bit. Um, it was, it was a touching moment. Once again, I hate how he juxtaposes these touching moments with like alien in the background, alien upstairs, alien in the background. Yeah. Literally at this moment, there is like aliens circling the, the house, like scurrying around. They're on the roof. Actually, when the, when he's talking to Morgan, there's a literally an alien on the roof. And like Mel Gibson could not talk any fucking slower about like how his wife loves his children. And it's just like aliens coming in. Aliens here. Like, he has all the time in the world for whatever reason. At least Meryl is in the background doing shit. Like, it, it's like a little, once again, a little bit funny. Like, you have him having this scene in the foreground. In the background, Meryl's like, holy fuck, aliens everywhere. Yeah, well, dude, we need to do something. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so, house is fucked at this point. There's aliens everywhere as far as we can tell. So, they hole up in the basement. 
Well, the aliens start to break in, and they're like sort of retreating back to the basement. Yeah, like that's their that's their last line of defense. And they just make it into the basement, sort of close the door, and the aliens are like right behind them, and they're like trying to like push their way into the basement, and they're looking for a way to jam the door shut. And uh, they're in the basement, which like you get the sense that they don't go down there very often. They're not really sure where things are, and eventually Meryl finds an axe, and he raises it above his head. And he hits the light bulb and breaks the light bulb, shattering it. And the whole basement turns black. And all you can hear is the struggle against the door. The aliens trying to break in. Graham up against the door trying to keep him out. And uh, eventually Morgan finds a flashlight and, like, turns it on. And we see that they've got the axe jammed up against the door, holding it shut. Yeah, they've got a, they've got a little moment of stability for a second. Did you know that the light being broken was a very late last minute decision by oh, M. Night. No. They got down there and he was like, actually, this is going to be way more intensive to flashlights. So that's why the light breaks. Okay. That makes sense. So that they could later have the flashlight drop and turn off. Yeah. Uh, he just thought it would be a more intense scene if like the there was like flashlights. Yeah. Which he's right. It helps a lot. Yeah. It really feels like, you know, it increases the danger in the room. And uh, it's at this point they realize there's a there's a shaft. Yeah, there's like, this is an old farmhouse and it's got like a coal storage area for like the heater where you pour coal in and it comes down into the basement. So they, they start trying to cover that up so that the aliens can't get down there. Yeah, so they realize that the alien at the basement door isn't trying to break in anymore. He's just making noise to, like, try and distract them. And they're like, oh, shit, why are they trying to distract us? And they start scurrying around looking for, like, other ways in. They find the shaft, and and Meryl stacks up some, like, dog food on it. And this is, like, just a funny scene buried in this intense moment of, like, he throws all these bags of dog food up there, and he, like, sits on the back of it. And then, like, thanks for literally half a second, and then grabs one single can of dog food, and he's like, "Oh!" and puts it up on top, like, like the cherry on top, like, yeah. like that somehow <laughs> gonna do anything? One extra can of dog food? Yeah, and it's played for comedy, and like, it's a comedic, it's a clearly comedic moment, but it's like literally right after that, the freaking kid gets grabbed, like. He's, he's standing against that, the, the grate, and a hand reaches and grabs him. You know, one of the alien hands. Like, that's ri- literally right after. And then he goes into, a, like, a, an asthma attack. Yeah. And, like, could die because he doesn't have his inhaler. It's like, we get this, like, yeah, exactly. It's like, there's always one serious thing, one funny thing in each scene. It's like, kid having an asthma attack and, oh, one can of dog food on top. That'll stop him. And it's not even, like minor things it's like you know an alien is coming to kill you like graham's son is gonna die of an asthma attack because he doesn't have his inhaler like these aren't moments that need little bits of comedic relief yeah like you can't put those things next to each other you want to know where this came from i have a theory about you know this like sort of weird juxtaposition of like comedy and seriousness you know the producer of this is kathleen kennedy right also known as the president of lucasfilm 
And you know what films have gotten absolutely panned over the past few years for mixing seriousness and comedy is the fucking Star Wars series. <laughs> and like half the shit Disney's doing. It would not surprise me if this is fucking Kathleen Kennedy's notes. Yeah, like executive producer status, like we need to have a little bit of funny stuff in here. Yeah. Let's make it a little funny. When I saw her name at the beginning of this movie, I knew that this was not a horror movie. Like that, that like she to me is like she's she's good at her job, but like I don't know if it's her notes or if it's just the project she works on are like systemic issues with modern filmmaking. Yeah. I believe it. So blocks off the grate and then Morgan gets grabbed by one of the aliens like through it and then he just kind of like runs away and he starts having an asthma attack. This is a pretty powerful scene where Graham is trying to comfort him. Like basically, you know, he doesn't have his inhaler. So really all he has is like trying to calm him down, uh, get him to breathe. And this is a really important moment because Morgan is sitting in Graham's lap having an asthma attack and Graham is trying to calm him down and he starts talking to God. This is the first time Graham's acknowledged that God exists basically throughout the film. And for him to start saying, I hate you, God. Yeah. Speaking directly to God and to scene. God. Yeah. It's the first time he's like finding his faith again. Like he hates God, but he's believing God exists to hate. Whereas for the rest of the film, as far as he was concerned, God didn't exist. Like it was almost his last resort. Like what else do you have left? Right? Like he, you know, he took, you know, God took his wife from him and, like, could take his son, too. So, like, you know, in that moment, it's like, you know, what are you going to do but hate the thing that you can blame? And he ends up calming him down. He's okay. Not completely okay, but he's, like, not going to die. Yeah, no, they, they like, stop him from, you know, needing, needing an inhaler and stuff. Right after that, we get the final conversation uh, between Graham and his wife. Uh, Yeah, another flashback, yeah. Which is a really uh, touching moment. Yeah. Also, did you know that that sequence was the first thing shot in the movie? Yes. Uh, September 12th, 2001. What a way to, like, cut your teeth uh, on a script as an actor, but to film, like, the most emotional and difficult scene right up front. I mean, it makes sense. Like, I definitely, you know, if I were to plan this out, I would have that the same way. Because, like... It would be so, I don't know, like if that's the final note of this of the movie of production. Yeah, that would just be like heartbreaking. Yeah, but yeah, it's a it's a really great scene. His wife Colleen is is great in this scene. And um, from here, I believe uh, the sort of aliens trying to break in like stops. Like they, the whole scene sort of calms down. We have uh, we have this last flashback scene, and then it's the next morning. Uh, like twelve hours had passed, and everything yeah everything's calmed down. Uh, the aliens have apparently retreated. Uh, they killed a bunch of people with like poison gas, and a bunch of them got wounded, and they were retreating. And Philadelphia and the surrounding counties had gotten the all clear, you know. So, so they they thought it was safe, but. Morgan was still recovering from his asthma attack, so they weren't going to just swing the door open and be like, oh, it's all good. But they need to get his inhaler, so they have yeah. to go. Yeah, they have no choice. We're coming up on the end of the movie here. There's a really cute scene of Bo, like, 
talking about like, oh, they're on the TV doing this. And she's like dancing. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, everything, you know, it's, it's okay. Like everything's good. And Graham goes and grabs the TV so they can turn it on and watch the broadcast. And in the reflection, they see an alien. A fucking alien. Not just an alien, but the alien that he chopped his little fingies off of. Yeah, you can you know the alien's pissed. He is fucking pissed. He tracked them down. And he's got Morgan. He's got his son in his hands. And he retracts his little his little wrist thingy that shoots his poison gas and he's kind of holding it out. So we don't know it's the poison gas thing immediately. The poison thing comes out of the wrist and he's pointing at the kid and like, we don't know it's the poison thing, but immediately I'm like, that's where the piss joke came from. That's where the piss joke and scary movie came. Yeah. That little, like just, it just kind of like pokes out. (laughs) Yeah. Now, now it makes sense. That's why they were pissing from their fingers. (laughs) Cause it's just a little, (laughs) so, He's got Morgan. Worst case scenario. Yeah. And the the cinematography of the scene is really well done, especially for the time period, because they know they can't pull off a convincing, clear shot of an alien. Um, So they're filming it through glass. We're seeing reflections of the alien. We're seeing a lot of reactions of the alien. But we're not getting, like, a super clear look of it. And it, it sells the alien very well. Yeah. Even though, like, every shot where you don't get a clear view of the alien, the CGI is great. Yeah, I, that's one thing that I will give this movie props for. In 2002, CGI wasn't great. And he consciously made a decision to lean into CGI as little as possible. Yeah, from my understanding, he really hated the idea of having to use it, but yeah. he needed it for this scene. He actually wanted to make the aliens invisible, but there wasn't a way to make that translate on film. So he had to compromise. And I think... Like, the way it was shot, it really worked. And there wasn't a lot of it, even. The first 90 minutes of the movie, there's only 11 seconds of aliens on on screen. And in the entire film, there's only 90 seconds total. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if there's only maybe, like, 20 shots of VFX total in this film, which is um, very low for a modern film. This scene feels like it takes 10 years yeah. It's like the Naruto effect of like, oh, dude, yes, it's totally an anime thing of like, let's get all these scenes in before we address what's going on in the room right now. Yeah, like the main character gets punched or something and like in order to like punch back, he has to like remember like all of his ancestors. Yeah. Is like sort of what happens here. Like with Morgan's literally in the hands of an alien about to die and it takes like 10 minutes to get to the end of that like the resolution of this yeah he's about to die we cut to graham and we like get this like direct on shot of his face it looks really weird it's like very like fight clubby or something like it's so strange and then do we go inside grant's head like we hear or we go inside graham's head do we hear his thoughts yeah i think we get more of the wife scene yeah talking about this in an analytical context makes it seem so much fucking worse so his wife's dying breath was swing, swing away. And then that pops in his head, his wife's dying breath. And then he's like, oh, Meryl, grab the bat. Swing, and swing away. Swing, swing away. And Meryl's and the, like, what? Like, swing, swing away. Like, you're telling me that this bat was the only fucking thing. Joaquin Phoenix 
and his bat is the only thing in the like like he's this holy answer to the problem. All this buildup. Also, this is like a standoff scene. Like nobody move. We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, and it's like swing, swing away, he turns and he to, walks he turns over across him. the room, grabs the bat, slowly the grabs it. Yeah, <laughs> and then as he's like feet away, like two feet away, about to swing, you know, fifty fucking minutes have passed at this point. Then the alien shoots the gas. Yep. He waited until like, you know, he just stared at Graham going like swing, swing away. And then he stares over at Meryl going and grabbing the bat. And then he's just holding it over there. And then the moment he, like, looks at him, he's just like. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you really waited that whole time. (laughs) Like, what a considerate alien. And Meryl's walking over like, it felt wrong not to swing. And then he just swings at the alien and hits, like, the alien doesn't run. Like Yeah, it just kind of takes it. He's just kind of, like, fighting He's fighting this alien like it's a home invade, like a like a regular dude broke into his house, and he's like, "Get the fuck out of here!" Like it's it's just some like it's hilarious that these guys are painted to be so much more to be feared than us because it's like how could uh, how could a bunch of U.S. Marines not take these guys seriously? Like if fucking Joaquin Phoenix with a baseball bat is able to one v one one of these guys. Were were they ever really a threat? They they left after what a week, a d- a night. Well, I mean, the the actual boots on the ground, oh, right? Yeah, yeah. Like was a was a day or whatever. But like a whole week was this was their plan. Like these, the the maybe five days between the first crop circle and them all leaving. Yeah, and it's like, man, like these are some weak ass aliens. And, like, this is uh, maybe the most antiquated part of the VFX. Like, the the visuals hold up pretty well, but interacting with the alien was pretty weak in terms of, like, how the baseball bat really didn't connect that well with the alien. There actually was a very convincing shot of the alien holding Morgan, but um, aside from that, the rest of the swings, like, they just don't sell. Yeah, and uh, so Graham runs outside with Morgan, while uh, Meryl's beating that alien's ass. And in the process, he breaks a glass of water and it hits the alien. Because Bo has a bunch of glasses of water. That's like a... Uh, we haven't talked about that. Bo, Bo gets water and she'll, you know, she'll get a new one because there's a hair in it or there's dust in it. So there's just a bunch of glasses of water all around the house. Yeah. Uh, the water hits the alien and it burns them. And that's when you realize, like, oh, that's how we defeated the aliens is, like, we just got them wet. And fortunately, the house is full of glasses of water. Yeah, he's just swinging the bat at these glasses of water, and it's, like, splashing on this alien. Yeah, and then the the fight ends. It's a POV shot. You're the alien. Oh, yeah, this, this is crazy. This is the craziest shot of the movie. You're POV. You're the alien getting beaten up by Joaquin Phoenix. Swing. Hit. Fall backwards. Bomb. Your head hits the ground. Glass of water falls down on the dresser. Pours onto the camera lens. <laughs> like, literally, like, they poured it on. Like, it's, you see it pooling. Like, if your eyes had, a like, a Tupperware container. Yeah. And started collecting the water, that's the POV. And it's, it's, it's just goofy. It's so out it's of place. It's goofy as all get it's out. It's so out of place. 
at least the Mel Gibson thing with the, the with the solo shot was yeah. like, oh, he's like, oh fuck, You're like this is an intense moment. But like that one was just like, okay, POV, you're an alien and you get hit and then a water falls on you. There, I mean, there's a weird amount of POV shots in this movie, um, which it's so strange. In a horror, in a like horror movie, this would like build tension, but in this, I feel like I'm just watching Peep Show kind of, where yeah. it's just like POV. You're in an awkward conversation, and then at the end, just to be like, yeah, it, to be the bad guy, like why do why do we have to be the bad guy who's getting defeated? What are you trying to say, M Night? Was I? What What does it mean? <laughs> I think there's scenes in this that are just there for the sake of like it being there. Like I don't think he thought about it that much. Yeah. So aliens dealt with and Morgan's outside with Graham and there's a big scare about, you know, uh, if, if he died to the poison, but his asthma uh, caused his lungs to close up. Which is so fucking ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. He, he didn't inhale any poison cause his lungs closed up. Yeah. He just wasn't breathing at all. So he didn't breathe in the poison. Yeah, and he hasn't been breathing for what? But now he's 15 breathing. minutes at this point. The breathing's back though. Yeah, he's fine. So yeah, Morgan lives. You got to watch this movie with your heart, not your brain. Yeah, and that's what I did, right? And now I'm what and now now we're talking about it in a podcast and I have to use my brain and I can't make excuses anymore. Like I when we had the conversation about it early in the morning, I was like, "You know, it's not too, it's not that bad." Like he tugs at the heartstrings. <laughs> it's not, a, it's just, it's not, you can't ask questions, right? You just got to take this movie at face value. It's just so misguided. The more you try to understand the movie and why it exists, the more upset you get. And I, I, you, you really do just have to take it at face value and be like, yep, this is like a family sci-fi thriller. That I think is a loose metaphor for like post 9-11 America. It could very well just be uh, you know, like the, the British, you know, like just the Mer- America, American values. We don't get walked over. These aliens came to our country and we didn't want to fight them. We went into our basements. We hid from them. But there is a point where a man's got to pick up the baseball bat and defend his home. Well, they got to swing, swing away. And God damn it. That That's moment, what we did. That moment is whenever they're standing in my living room holding my child. That's when I'm gonna. That's when I'm gonna stand up. There is a distinct lack of weapons in this movie. That's very noticeably strange. Yeah, like they're fucking farmers. You get a shotgun or a rifle to deal with varmints on the homestead. Like that's a normal thing. Like it's a home invasion. Mo- it ends with a home invasion, and nobody tries to fight back. Also, where was Paskey? She has a gun. Where, yeah, where the fuck was Paskey? Why didn't she come and help? What, did she seriously just fuck off? She actually fucked off for the rest of the movie after showing up. All right, okay. This is the end of the movie. Is there anything else we're uh, missing? Okay, there's actually one last scene. There's a time skip after Morgan comes to. It's winter now. It's snowing. He's got his usher clothes on. Oh, yeah, it's like uh, they reshot the very first scene of the movie, but this time he's getting ready for church. Yeah, he's he's found his faith again. That's the big takeaway.
Oh, man. This movie was such a wild experience. I'm so glad we covered this because I didn't realize how much was left unwritten for this film. You know, it could have just been tucked away in my mind forever as like that scary alien movie with that one scene at the birthday party. And that's all it would have ever been. But now it's like, I have two very distinct ways to look at this movie. You know, like the eyes of someone who's blissfully ignorant and wants to just buy in to a stupid family movie. And like my adult self who's trying to analyze this film for what it offers and being so disappointed. Yeah. It's, (laughs) I mean, just like the movie, right? You know, two distinct feelings going on at the same time. It's this movie is such a period piece and like I I very much could see this movie being just a warm cozy blanket that many people enjoy and still enjoy to watch. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like I rewatched it and like I wasn't scared at all at any point. I just remember like I just remembered everything was funnier. Like when I was a kid I didn't get any of the humor. So like I was able to understand parts of the movie that I never understood. Like the nerds with girlfriends line, like that was hilarious. Yeah. And I just, you know, didn't get that at all. This is a movie I could see myself just turning on in the background like I would like a Harry Potter movie or something. Yeah, yeah, it's so bizarre that like I was scared of this movie because it's like this is a, you could watch this with your family easily. Yeah, you should. I think it, yeah, it's designed to be a family movie. You know, but it's like, it's so weird that this was supposed to be scary at any point. I would be interested in going back and watching the trailer of this movie and seeing if it was marketed as a horror movie. If like, that's where this came from of like people being like, oh, it's a horror movie. Then they're watching it. And then they like never changed what they said about it. Like, oh yeah, it's a horror movie. I really think it's just that one scene. I think that one moment of like the found footage just changed everyone's perception of this movie to think it was a horror film. Yeah. Because they remembered how scary that was. And everything else was so forgettable that they, that's all they remembered. Like, yeah. that was the takeaway. It was like, oh, man, I got really scared for that one scene. I didn't really care about the Mel Gibson shit, but... <laughs> I, is Mel Gibson... So I haven't seen a lot of Mel Gibson movies. Is he a good actor? I haven't seen a lot of them either, but I don't think so. He doesn't feel like a good actor. I don't actor. think so. I think he said in reference to this movie, it was a very strange movie, or strange role for him because he doesn't do introspective characters. And that kind of makes sense based on how he, how he acts. Yeah. <laughs> like he's not good at feeling an emotion. Like anytime he displayed it, it felt so phoned in. Like the, the breakdown at the dinner table, that felt like it came out of nowhere. All of a sudden, he was, like, really aggressive and angry and sad. Yeah. It, and it, it's, like, it comes across as funny when he's, like, not being funny. Like, that scene could just be put in Scary Movie and still work as a funny scene. The only reason Signs isn't already Scary Movie is the people are, is the actors around him. Yeah. Other people's performances save this movie from being as bad as it could be. I uh, I learned a little interesting tidbit about how um, M. Night was directing the actors slightly differently. So apparently Joaquin Phoenix didn't like doing rehearsals. Um, so they always shot his shots first and then shot um, Mel Gibson's shots when they were interacting. 
So uh, he had less time with the material than Mel did, which is like sort of interesting. I've never really thought about like which actor you make go first in scenes. Yeah. But they always shot Joaquin's scenes first because he just preferred to like be more off the cuff with his performances. Yeah. He's, that's his acting style. His, his whole, his whole thing is being unconventional and kind of just going, but going for it. We usually do like a yay or nay recommendation. I feel like since this isn't exactly a horror movie, I'm a little reluctant to be like, yeah, I'll go watch yeah, it. Or like, like don't watch it. If you're, if you want to watch a horror movie, don't watch this. Yeah. If you're trying to get scared, don't watch this. It's not scary. The only reason we're even talking about this in the context of a horror movie podcast is like happenstance. It was like, an accident. Like literally like. It was a little oopsie. Yeah. But, but we both thought about it, thought it was funny enough to do a whole episode. Well, we both watched it. We came in and we're like, this is not a horror movie. But I could tell this was the most exciting we've been to talk about a movie yeah, in a while. Yeah, I guess, yeah, like, it, I, I went into it expecting something, and it just was so far from what I expected that I ha- I couldn't not talk about it. Uh, so, yeah, if you're trying to watch a horror movie, don't watch this. And it's honestly, like, not, it's not really a good movie. Like, I want people to watch it because the nostalgia in me telling me that I should tell people to watch it because it's a classic. Like, and and I don't know. I rewatched it again and I laughed and I, you know, it was like sad. It just wasn't scary at all. Yeah. And I I guess if, if you go into it expecting a family movie, it's not bad. I mean, it's, it's not great, but it's not a horrible trash film. If you're just expecting some simple family film where they stick together and overcome a challenge. Yeah, like this is the movie you want to put on when like your in-laws come over for Thanksgiving and you want something on in the background. Like the whole family can rally around this message of family. Family loves family. One final note on the uh, the score for this movie. Um, the composer, James Newton Howard, he purposefully referenced uh, classic film scores for this, which... Honestly, I, I, I feel like that's like kind of feeding into our subconscious of it being a horror movie. He specifically kind of leaned into the like the three notes of uh, like Psycho and Encounters of a uh, Encounters of the Third Kind and like Twilight Zone, like that that eerie like like kind of thing. And I, I think like you know this this score does a lot of work for the movie that we don't realize. So I didn't even clock the score, which is always a sign to me that something is well integrated. If I'm picking up on the individual aspects of a movie, for me, that tends to signal that there's a problem with it, unless it's very good and like noteworthy. But like if I'm picking up POV, you're the alien, something went wrong. Yeah. And another thing that helped Shyamalan and this guy have a rapport. They worked together for The Sixth Sense uh, and another movie of his, I believe. And they actually... The composer started, you know, composing the score for this movie off of storyboards. Before the movie even started shooting, he was he was making the score. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan is famous for how well storyboarded his movies are. Uh, we should, um, I might post some pictures of the behind the scenes. His storyboards are literally shot for shot. Like he pre-edits the film, essentially. It's quite remarkable. That's cool. He said that this was one of his easiest movies to to shoot and direct. Yeah. Uh, it was like a breeze for him. He was talking about how the once they got inside the house, they were able to shoot the rest of the movie in sequence. 
which he really enjoyed because inside the house, there's no real advantage to like shooting one thing before the other. Yeah. Cause it was all soundstage. So they just had to set and like move between the sets. And, and there was only a couple scenes that weren't there. Yeah. Once they got all the exterior stuff done, um, they shot the rest of the movie in sequence, which was pretty cool. So that's signs. Yeah. That's, that's signs. That's uh, M night Shyamalan's signs. The 2002 classic. Now don't worry. Um, cause we will get back to horror next episode. We're done playing in this not horror space, at least for a few episodes. I can promise you the next podcast episode is going to be about a scary movie, yeah, an actual horror film. Kelton isn't going to let me off easily every time. He's, he's not going to pull one over on me like this again. Uh, Before you know it, we're going to be watching what? Human centipede. Oh, Jesus. Two. Ugh. Three. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, thank you all for listening to Fugenics once again. Uh, we are on social media, specifically Twitter and Instagram. So go check us out there. If you have suggestions for movies, hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. We have a running document, and we're actually going to start getting into some of those starting maybe next week. Please give us more suggestions. We are always taking more. What do we always say at the end of the episode, Kelton? Swing, swing away. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Fear Genics. See you guys next time. See ya. Bye.